0: Well, good morning. Good to see you all. Uh, You can open up your Bibles with me to Psalm 84. If you're a guest with us today, my name's Drew. I'm one of the pastors here, and we'll be spending time in Psalm 84 this morning. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab one under a seat nearby, and you can find Psalm 84 on page 493 of that copy of God's Word. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, that copy of God's Word is our gift to you. We'd love for you to have that. So, Psalm 84, let's read it together and then pray. To the choir master, according to the Getith, a psalm of the sons of Korah, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come to you and we're thankful for uh, this being your very word to us. And so we pray in this time that you would help keep our attention on you as we've trusted you've done by your spirit through the service so far. Help us be free from distraction but focus on hearing from your word and would you transform us by the power of your spirit open our eyes to behold your glory in jesus i pray this in jesus name amen well this psalm that we just read is about our longing all of our all of us our longing for true home we all have experiences of missing home or longing for home or a sense of home. For a long time, Christina and I lived in the Naperville-Wheaton area in Chicago. It's where we were married. We had deep friendships there. It was first job in ministry. And I remember that just over 10 years ago, as I was starting conversations with the leadership of Zionsville Fellowship, I remember a moment when, as this was becoming more of a real possibility, I had a conversation with my teaching pastor at the time. And I was sharing honestly about some deep sadness and even a sense of fear of moving to Indiana and deeply missing the life that we had in this season um, up there. And I had this vivid picture that I shared of moving down here and sitting at my desk and putting my head down and just saying, I want to go home. So before I came, I'm just wondering, like, is that what it's going to be like? Because our life is so good here. Will I leave and then just say, I wish I never left? And I'll never forget what uh, Daryl said to me. He said, Drew, this isn't your home. And I knew what he meant, right? The life that we had up there, as wonderful as it was, was not our truest home. It was my home in one sense, but not my truest home because my truest home is with Christ. And I'm with Him wherever I go. And which means that I can go anywhere on this planet and not lose my truest home. Sometimes we can look back on a season of life and just think if I could just get back there, that was where my real sense of belonging and home was. Maybe you have a sense of nostalgia as you remember a past season of life and you wish you could go back. C.S. Lewis said there's this secret in all of us. We have these experiences that we call nostalgia. We have these longings for the past, but Lewis said that these nostalgic memories are really just pointers to something bigger that we all want. Here's what he said. He said, they're not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found. The echo of a tune we have not heard. News from a country we've never yet visited. So this season of life you may even miss so much. Or this hope for a future just along the horizon that you think if we just had that, that job, that home, that car, those relationships, if we just have that, then I'll really be home. All of this is elusive because it's not what we're most deeply searching for. So here's the point you and I were made for God to be our truest home. And our experiences of nostalgia and longing for home are images of and pointers to this deeper longing for God. The early church father and uh, North African Bishop uh, Augustine put it this way famously. In a prayer, he said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So that's a word for our culture right now, filled with restlessness, and it's the key to understanding the psalm we just read. This psalm is about longing to be at home with God, and it has three sections or movements. They show what it looks like to desire God as our truest home. So we'll just walk through this psalm and these three movements. We'll see missing home, going home, and finally, being home. So first, missing home. Verses 1 through 4. Let's read it again. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. Right? How lovely is your home, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, whose home are in your home, ever singing your praise. So, God's dwelling place here is the temple. The psalm begins by saying that this temple in Jerusalem is lovely. The word here is probably better translated beloved. So, this man loves the temple, God's dwelling place. And did you notice this strong emotional language here? Look at at verse 2 his soul longs for the courts of the temple. He faints for it, a word that can refer to coming to the end of himself, longing for it. Then he says, my heart and flesh sing for joy. So his heart and flesh refers to the totality of his being, his whole self, inside and out. Every part of him is engaged in this longing, and his whole self is crying out to God. Uh, The translation I use, it says, my heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Uh, Your translation may read something like, my heart and flesh cry out for God. I think that's better. This is less an overflow of joy and singing for joy, and it's really a desperate crying out uh, for God, a sense of desperation, because we get the sense here He's not singing for joy in the temple here. He's crying out because He wishes He was there to sing for joy there. He's even envying the birds in verse 3. Did you see that? The birds have access to the temple because it's open to the sky, and so some of them built their nests in the courtyard there. And so they have their dwelling place at God's dwelling place, and He's envious of those birds. So here's the question. Why the intense emotion and longing for the temple? We find the answer when we step back and remember what the temple is. Symbolized. It was a picture of home, both God's home and our home, God's home and our truest home. And this explains the deep longing and even emotion here. So here's what I mean. So, first, the temple was about God's home. Now, the point of the temple was that it was to be a place of God's special presence among His people. He had Israel build the tabernacle first, which was like a portable temple, and then it was uh, built as a more stable structure in Jerusalem. And the whole point, the Lord said, is so that I may dwell with you. So it was the dwelling place of God with His people. Now, of course, the heavens can't even contain God, but His presence was experienced in a special way there. So the point wasn't about the building. The point for this man who wrote the psalm was not about the building. It was about God. This is God's presence, and this is why He longs to be there, because he, not because he, he loves the architecture uh, by itself, but because He wants to be with God. Now, that is real Christianity. Real Christianity is not merely, it's not less than, but it's not merely about doctrine in our heads. It's also about responding to that true doctrine with heartfelt emotion. God invites us to love Him deeply. So I wonder how you respond to seeing this kind of emotion that we read in this psalm. Some of you may resonate with it. You feel like this does map onto your own experience maybe in this season of life and your desires today. Others of you may feel a sense of resignation or discouragement about this. You want to love God more. Sometimes you feel like you Resonate with a psalm like this. So maybe some Sunday mornings or when you have time reading his word, but it all feels so distant in the mix of everyday life. Are you ever just surprised at the the joy and clarity of vision you have on Sunday morning and then by midday Monday, uh, it just feels so distant, and those emotions feel distant. Others of you may read this psalm and you have a sense of curious doubt. Uh, maybe you're not yet a Christian, but you're open to this, so you haven't experienced this kind of emotion toward God, uh, and it seems peculiar to you. But you realize that if God really is true and He did make us for Himself, then perhaps this is fitting. Maybe this is possible. So, that's the first reason why this man longs for the temple, because this is God's home. It's about God. And the second reason this emotion makes sense is because the temple is actually in a symbolic way, our true home. The temple was built as a symbolic representation of Eden. God designed it to recall what humanity experienced in the garden with Him at the beginning of creation. So when God made Adam and Eve, He dwelt with them. Genesis 3 says that God would walk with them in the cool of the day. So in Eden, what it really was is this merging of heaven and earth. God dwelling with humanity, the world as it was meant to be. And then when sin entered the world and our first parents rejected God, as we've all continued to do, there's a a splitting of that. So God withdraws His special presence away from Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve leave the garden, and now we're all living outside of the garden. We were made to dwell with God in that sin-free wonder world of Eden. Now, the man who wrote this psalm knows this, so he feels it, when you and I know in our bones that we were made for God, for that Edenic world, then it actually begins to make sense of our own longings. We live with this sense of exile in this life. That's how J.R.R. Tolkien put it. He said this, the author of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, he said, certainly there was an Eden on this very unhappy earth. We all long for it, And we are constantly glimpsing it. Our whole nature, at its best and least corrupted, its gentlest and most humane, is still soaked with the sense of exile. So, this man who wrote Psalm 84 is writing out of this sense of being soaked with a sense of exile. He longs for God's home because it's his true home. His home is to be with God. I mentioned earlier what Augustine said. You've made us for Yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in You. So, we were made for Eden, God's dwelling place, where heaven and earth were merged, and our hearts are restless until we get back to that, because that's what we were made for. So, if you experience this sense of exile, it's because uh, you're a human being that God made, and you were made for this world, but with God with us. And so, this longing can lead us to long for God as our truest home. So that's the first part of this psalm, this longing to be home, missing our true home. And now second, going home. The second section is verses 5 through 8. And so he now turns our attention to the journey toward the temple. This man appears that he wishes he could make this journey, and for some reason, he can't, and so he draws our attention to those who are able to make the journey to the temple. So, verses 5 through 7, "'Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one, each one of these travelers appears before God in Zion.'" So, many Israelites would make this pilgrimage, this journey to Jerusalem, which is also called Zion here, and this focuses on the joy that they have as they travel. So, they go through this valley of Baca or Baca, so it's probably referring to an arid place. The word means something like weeping, but notice that this says that as they travel through this place, they make it a place of springs of water. So, they're taking this place of weeping and it's turning into a place of joy as they travel along on their way to God's home, the temple. And notice they go from strength to strength. So, the closer they get, the stronger they get. They're moving from strength to strength. So, the hope of arriving increases their encouragement and joy and gives them fresh energy to go on. Maybe you've experienced that before in life. Um, I love going on backpacking trips, and some of them are pretty arduous, though. And last month, I was in Montana backpacking in a wilderness, uh, mountain wilderness, and we had about a seven-mile journey, and it took a long portion of the day to do. It was a struggle. But once we rounded a corner and saw this lake that was supposed to be this signpost that we were almost there, all of a sudden, our tiredness and slowness went away. I felt joy and fresh hope, and we were able to move again, right? Moving from strength to strength because of the anticipation of arrival. Now, we actually got the marker wrong, and we found out that that was the wrong lake. I thought it was the second. It was the first. We had a long ways to go, and as we figured that out, we thought we were lost, and so I was discouraged again, and we were making very slow progress. But when we finally did get close to the place we were going for, or going to, and we found out because one of the guys who got there way before me uh, hiked back looking for us and told us we were close, which I'm thankful for. Um, The joy picked up again, so the principle still stands. The hope of arrival increases the strength, right? Moving from strength to strength. That's how it was for the pilgrims, going to Jerusalem, The closer they could get, the more their strength would be renewed. The hope of being in God's dwelling place encouraged them to keep going. But notice, it doesn't just appear to be a physical journey here. This man's also talking about what seems to be a spiritual journey. Look at the language in verse 5. It's striking. He says, "'Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion.'" So, their their hearts are oriented toward God. So, this is either saying, yes, those pilgrims who are physically traveling also have their hearts oriented toward God, but it's also possible here that it seems like he's speaking of a journey in the heart, that there's a journey that even this man can take. There's a highway in his heart to God. So, what does this mean for us today? How can we access God's presence? So We watch these pilgrims journeying to God. What does that mean for us now? Well, we no longer need to go to a physical temple to be in God's presence. And while trips to Jerusalem are worthwhile and wonderful, it's not really what this psalm's talking about anymore in light of what God has done in history. Because remember how we saw that that tabernacle was a mini-symbolic Eden. The temple was a mini-symbolic Eden. It was a little picture of the way the world was supposed to be with God dwelling with His people, the priests entering in, representing humanity, re-entering into God's presence, re-entering the garden. So, this is a picture of God's home and our true home. Now, God is restoring His presence to us in a greater way, a far greater way than this man experienced who wrote this, because something greater than the temple is here, the one to whom the temple pointed. So, in John 1.17, it says this, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. And that word dwelt is literally tabernacled. He's the true tabernacle. Jesus tabernacled among us, the glory of God dwelling among us in flesh. And then in John chapter 2, Jesus Himself makes this explicit. He's in the temple, and He says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews then said to him, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But John adds he was speaking about the temple of his body. So, when Jesus came, the point of the temple was fulfilled, God himself dwelling with us as a human being. Jesus was a walking temple, the place where God and man meet, God and humanity meet again. He's the point of the temple. So, what about now? That was still 2,000 years ago. Well, after His resurrection, Jesus poured out His Spirit on His people, and which means, noted throughout the New Testament, that His people are now the temple. Uh, Another way to put it is that Jesus is the cornerstone of the temple, and we're like little stones joined to Him as part of the the true temple with God's presence, because the Holy Spirit is with us and among us. Each individual Christian who trusts in Jesus is united to Jesus by faith and indwelt by the Holy Spirit and viewed as a temple, and then all of us together are viewed as the dwelling place of God as well, the true temple. So, we don't need to go to Jerusalem to be with God, because the the point of what made Jerusalem special has come to us. God's come to us now, and so, look again at verse 5, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. It's not just that our hearts can travel to God's presence, it's that God's presence has now come to us by the Holy Spirit to dwell with us. But we know that there's even more to come, because even though God is now with us now, as those who are following Jesus, receiving the Spirit, we are also on a journey, on a pilgrimage to the new creation, where the fullest experience of God's presence will come. So Revelation 21 and 22 says that there will be no temple there in the new creation. And it describes the new creation as Eden again, but better, right? The point is that heaven and earth are merged again, sin is gone, and we dwell with God again, as we were always meant to be, but even better. So the new creation will be the best of this life, minus the worst of this life, plus God, who's better than life. Will finally be home. So, to summarize this little portion of the psalm, what does this mean? Well, three things. It means that we don't go to a temple to meet with God, we go to Jesus. We go to the Father through Jesus in the Spirit. He's the true temple. And so, when we come to Christ in faith, we have come to the living God, we've come home. Second, it means that when we do this, we receive the Spirit and we become the dwelling place of God individually and together with other brothers and sisters in Christ so everyone who repents of their sin and trusts in Jesus become part of this new true temple and third it means that we're waiting for our truest home in the new creation when everything will be made new we're not there yet so we're actually somewhat like the man who wrote this psalm even though we're experiencing a greater fulfillment we're still not yet fully there and the journey continues. So, just like the Israelites who journeyed to Jerusalem and went from strength to strength, that really is a picture of the Christian life. Remember how those pilgrims moved. So, what's, what's the Christian life then? It's moving in anticipation of the new creation from strength to strength. As you get older in your faith, you get closer to experiencing more of God's dwelling place in the new creation, and that should stir you with eager anticipation and even strength. It's the opposite of what happens to our bodies, isn't it? As we get older, our bodies go from strength to weakness to weakness. But as uh, 2 Corinthians 4 says, our inner nature, even though our outer nature is being wasted away, our inner nature is being renewed day after day. So, we have this restoration happening internally. So, even as we get older and our body gets weaker, we can get stronger in our inner self. So, I hope this is an encouragement to you who are older or even much older in the faith and in life, that you may be getting weaker physically, but you can get stronger spiritually. And through my conversations with you, I see it happening, and it's encouraging to me that you can have a growing joy inside of you as you get to know Christ more and get closer to that finish line. So that's the journey. It's missing home and then going home on the journey. And now finally, being home. The last part of the psalm is surprising. So, the psalmist speaks throughout the psalm of a blessing. Blessing shows up, the word shows up in each of these three sections. In the first one, it's the blessing of dwelling in God's house, right? Blessed are all those who dwell in there like those birds, you know, wish we could be there. And then the second is blessed are those who are journeying to the house. The psalmist also wishes he could do that. Now, the last section gives us a surprising blessing, it speaks of those who trust in the Lord. So, it doesn't say, I'll have to settle for trusting in the Lord because I can't go there to the temple. No, this is the third blessing. Blessed are those who trust, all those who trust in the Lord. So, verse 9, just walk through this briefly, behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed, which means Messiah. So, this is actually a surprising note. God is our shield. The psalm says it actually a couple of verses later, but here the shield is referring to the anointed Messiah, the Davidic king. So, it's a prayer for God to bless their king. And we now live under the rule of the true Messiah, Jesus. Now, verse 10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield, so now God is called a shield, the Lord bestows favor and honor, or grace and glory. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So, that last phrase is the key one. There's a blessing for those who can't travel to the temple, but who trust in the Lord. So, as we trust in God, we're brought into a relationship with Him, and whether this man could make it to the temple or not, he could know God. And he knows the blessing then of trusting in God. It's even more true of us now. Because through faith, we're united to Jesus. We receive the Holy Spirit and we are drawing near to him then. And we know him in this special way. So, as we look to this next coming week, how do we respond to this psalm? What, what relevance does this psalm have to our everyday lives? Well, this psalm is here to help us see that you and I were made to be at home with God in everyday life, our true homes with Him, and Jesus came to bring us home. So, how do you cultivate? That's really what we want to do. How do you cultivate the kind of wholehearted delight in God that we see reflected in this psalm? Just a couple notes, and there's more that you can consider, so I encourage you to even talk about this today, maybe at lunch or with your small group or with a friend. Uh, How can I cultivate? How can we cultivate the kind of desire that we see in this psalm. So, here's a few thoughts. One, trust in Jesus, either for the first time or continuing. That's how the psalm ends. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. So, our sin has separated us from God, It's the reason why we're in exile from His presence, but our obedience cannot bring us back. Only Jesus can. So, we open up our empty hands of faith and we receive His welcome again because of Jesus, because He died for our sins on the cross and He rose again and He welcomes us by sheer grace as a gift. So, if you've not yet trusted in Jesus, He invites you to do so today. You can come home to God and come out of the exile you've been living in. Second, uh, we need to have focused times of drawing near to God. So, in one sense, we are already in God's presence as Christians. The Spirit has been poured out into our life. He's here. Whether we're aware of it moment by moment or not, this Holy Spirit is present in your life. He's transforming you. Every every action of selfless service or kindness or graciousness or patience that you have as a Christian, is a fruit of the Spirit's work in your life. He's working in your life. However, the book of Hebrews also still talks about drawing near to God, actions we can take to draw near to Him. It speaks of entering into the holy place, using temple language again. So, though we are, in a sense, in the temple, we are the temple, there are still actions we can do to draw near, namely, hearing God through His Word and responding in prayer. We draw near to Him at certain times, and that's really the, the point of setting aside time in God's Word and prayer, and then meditating on God's Word through the day. It's communing with God, relating with your Maker, hearing Him speak to you, and then speaking in response to Him. Third, we prioritize being together on Sundays here. So, the church building is not a temple. There's a reason we don't use use the word sanctuary to refer to this, because The temple was a building in the Old Testament, but the fulfillment of that is not little church buildings. It's actually the people of God, right? So, you as Christians are the temple, Uh, not this building. This isn't a particularly holy place because of the way it's built or its particular location or plot of land. And so, we can't read Psalm 84 and think about church buildings. Being a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord isn't about, you know, standing by the doors and keeping them and... Uh, having a role um, cleaning in a church building. Um, But that doesn't mean that Sunday gatherings are irrelevant, because this is where we come together as God's corporate temple together. And we hear from Him, from His Word. We sing to Him with joy. We celebrate being in His presence in a unique way as a local church family. So, you can't treasure God's presence and the reality that we are now a temple without also treasuring local church community and being eager to gather together. So, just encourage you to continue prioritizing this. Go to bed early on Saturday night. Anticipate coming in the morning, gathering with God and His people in a special way, not because the building matters, can do it on the hill, can do it somewhere else, right, but because God's Spirit is present with us together as His temple, and He's with us in a special way to transform us. And then finally, we need each other. So, Let's keep encouraging each other along the journey. We're pilgrims on our way to the new creation. Uh, some of you may be familiar with that great book, Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Um, what a great book that talks about this pilgrim journey we're on, on our way to the new creation. And so I think especially about older Christians, you know, we saw that this psalm talks about growing from, moving from strength to strength on the journey home. So the longer you are a Christian, the stronger you can get in anticipating Uh, your true home, and so your outer nature may be wasting away, but your inner nature is being renewed. Younger Christians uh, need that encouragement, need to see you growing in strength as you move toward that finish line so they can have hope and be encouraged along the way. And then it goes the other way as well. Older Christians need to see new believers and younger Christians and the zeal they have to give them fresh encouragement as well. So, I've been encouraged by seeing us all on this journey together, and let's keep encouraging each other. So this week, as things may not go well for you in certain ways, as you're reminded that we're still not truly and fully home in this world, uh, don't try to make this world the best place it could possibly be for you. Don't try to make this your permanent dwelling place. Your home is with God, and He's with you, and the new creation is coming, and so draw near to Him. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank You for loving us and wanting us. We sang earlier about this mystery of how we have a great worth and yet we're unworthy. So we recognize our unworthiness to be in Your presence. We forfeit it through our own sin. We deserve to be moving eternally into further exile and darkness and inwardness. a Focus on ourself, which sucks all the joy out of life anyway. And yet, you value us and you treasure us. And you've given proof of that in giving your own son for us on the cross. And so, thank you for delighting us. Thank you for wanting us. Thank you for doing everything needed for us to come back to you. So, we just receive... And please, by your Spirit's work in our heart, help us enjoy you. Would you cultivate the desires we see in Psalm 84? You cultivated it in the man who wrote that first, and we pray that you would continue to stir that in our own hearts. We even pray over these next few minutes together as we sing to you that your Spirit would surprise us with fresh desire for you. And we pray that you do that this coming week as well. In Jesus' name, amen.